Our text of emphasis this morning is found in Acts chapter uh, 6. And uh, while you're trying to find that on your uh, device, Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, just a shout out to our family from Norway here today. Thank you for being here. We have a whole Norwegian contingent on one of uh, the pews. Welcome to Church of the Avent Hope and to the U.S. We hope you're having a great time in our beloved city here in New York. So welcome. Make sure that you... Can you just raise your hand so we'll make sure that we give you a... <coughs> okay. We try not to make guests raise their hand, and, but today we did it. I'm sorry, but we're glad that you're here. <laughs> Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 is our text of emphasis today, and it's a long one, so bear with me as we zoom through this. Uh, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the, pro- as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then he secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They se- seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses has handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess this land even though at the time Abraham had no child. Verse 9, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Skipping down to verse 17 of chapter 7. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. Skipping down to verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites, He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled uh, to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. 
When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Verse 35. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness when the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people, Stephen said. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You were just like our ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this uh, dramatic story, we pray for understanding of uh, who you are and what kind of relationship you're calling us into with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, we... Uh, heard from Derek, who was uh, continuing our winter sermon series on the book of Acts, and he talked to us about the first deacons, those servants who were designated to help the church in the practical matters of just being the kind of community that God had called them uh, to be. And so today we take a look at one of those uh, deacons, one of those servants, the man Stephen, who the Bible describes was a man full of God's grace and power, and who performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now, according to the narrative, a, a certain group of religious leaders uh, had opposition against uh, Stephen, and uh, the record shows that this was not the first time that this happened with the newborn church, that uh, as the followers of Jesus became popular and people started to follow them, and that was certainly the case with Stephen. He, the people were all amazed about the wonders and miraculous signs that he was doing that this created jealousy in the hearts of the religi religious leaders, because these were also religious people, and they saw this as competition. And so as apparently was their modus operandi, they, uh, they gathered together false witnesses, dragged uh, Peter into the Sanhedrin, which was the uh, the uh, ruling class, the 
uh, religious uh, political ruling class of the people and put him to a trial. And so these witnesses came to testify against uh, Stephen. This is, by the way, the exact same thing that had happened to Jesus. And their accusation was uh, rooted in two elements, that he was speaking against the holy uh, temple, that place in which they had uh, so much uh, value invested, and that he was speaking against the law. These, again, were the same accusations that were, uh, that were aimed at Jesus himself. And so uh, Stephen then replies, and we read that long reply, and he bases his reply on the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. And so he is affirming his uh, Jewish, his religious orthodoxy, but he's also showing that the current religious leaders, the current system, the Sanhedrin and those who are associated with them, were actually from a long line of dissenters who had been against the patriarchs. So he asserts his orthodoxy by quoting in detail the stories of, or recalling in detail the stories of Abraham, Joseph, and, and Moses, but then he calls the religious leaders there out by saying, hey, you are like those who dissented against each of them. You dissented against Abraham. You dissented against Joseph. Your forefathers dissented against uh, uh, Moses. And so it was, it was quite an uh, accusation. In fact, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, we read again the words of Stephen. You stiff-necked people. Now, we imagine he is in the, the courtroom. He is facing, he's by himself. He's against the, the entire religious uh, uh, leaders, and he has this opportunity to speak, and he says this to them, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, which was uh, quite an accusation. You are just like our ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed him and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels have not obeyed it. Uh, it was a, a devastating argument that indicted the entire religious system, certainly all those religious leaders there, and accused them of murdering the one in which they had been waiting for, the Messiah. And so uh, we read that the Sanhedrin was so uh, furious, uh, but Stephen didn't uh, let up. In verse uh, 55, we see that Stephen... Full of the Holy Spirit, this is chapter 7, verse uh, 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So he's there, it's this climactic moment. They are upset at him, but, and he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now any person who cares about their life is going to take that view in and just enjoy that they have been validated and that their arguments have been supported by God himself, but Stephen is not that kind of guy. Stephen, instead of just keeping his mouth shut and enjoying the vision that he's seeing before him of God standing at, of Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and enjoying the validation that would come from all that he said was, cle was correct, he says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he's basically saying, hey, this one that you have murdered and that you... Uh, cared nothing for, is now standing next to the Father. Now, they knew that if you talked about standing next to the Father, that there was a special relationship uh, there that was uh, certainly not part of their tradition. God 
the Father was God alone. And so the idea that Jesus would be standing next to him and therefore be related to the Father was just too much for them to handle. And so uh, the story tells us that they, in just anger, scream out and then rush at Stephen to drag him out to be uh, executed. Now, uh, what's interesting here is that uh, capital punishment was a part of Jewish law, although very, very selectively and rarely was it actually executed in the Old Testament. But since the Romans had taken over, uh, the Sanhedrin was not allowed to perform capital punishment. So you remember back to the story of Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus was uh, turned over to the Roman government because the Sanhedrin could not, uh, could not execute capital punishment on Jesus himself. But in this instance, they are so furious that they take Stephen and they drag him out. And uh, this, this, this took some time. It wasn't like outside the door. He was in the temple and they dragged him out to the edge of the city. And so uh, they may have been hot and angry, but uh, this was also premeditated enough that they could drag him out of the city and then they uh, commit capital punishment on him. They take stones, just like the, the Bible says, for someone who is blasphemous, and they throw them at him, and they uh, kill him. Uh, it's, it's a dramatic a story and a, a powerful example of speaking uh, truth to power. Now, speaking truth to power is a concept that is rooted in the uh, Quaker uh, faith of the 18th century, and the term speaking truth to power was coined by civil rights leader Bayard Rustin, who was actually uh, recently awarded the Medal of Freedom after his death by President Obama back in 2013. But this concept, speaking truth to power, again, is rooted in the Quaker uh, idea that we must be people of peace, but we must also be people not afraid to speak what needs to be spoken, even if it requires putting ourselves out in a very intentional way. And so we see Stephen being a great example of speaking truth to power. Now, he's by no means the first example of this in the Bible. We go back to the story of Moses, for example. You have Moses, we just read about who Stephen recited. Certainly Stephen must have taken encouragement by the testimony of Moses, that Moses was called. He was living out a nomadic life in the desert, but he was called by God to go and speak truth to power. You're going to go, and you're going to be in front of the most powerful, powerful person on the planet at that time. You're going to speak to a Pharaoh. He's a farmer. He's called, though, to go to speak to the most powerful person on the planet. So Moses, if you've read the uh, the Old Testament at all, you know the story of uh, Moses, and if you haven't, you can go to read that in more detail in this book of Exodus, but Moses has this ongoing dialogue with the most powerful person on the planet. He spoke truth to power. Elijah, Elijah, another great example of speaking truth to power. Elijah went to Ahab, the uh, king of the people who had married this woman Jezebel, who was from another faith system that had a whole other concept of who God was, and uh, Elijah went to Ahab and called him out. In fact, it challenged him directly. We read in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 20 this. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and, and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people. These are the people of, of, of Israel, these ancestors of uh, the Sanhedrin and ancestors of Stephen. 
Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between these two opinions, between Baal and Yahweh, the God of the Bible? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Uh, But the people said uh, nothing. And so Elijah was out there almost on his own on this mountaintop and he calls out uh, Ahab and he calls out uh, Jezebel putting his life on the line. He's speaking truth to power. Another example from the New Testament is the story of John the Baptist. This is a very personal one. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse uh, 3 we read this. Now Herod arrested John and bound him up and put him in prison because of Herodias, his his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. I mean, speaking truth to power, here is the the king of the people. And John boldly calls out the king for his illicit relationship with his brother's wife. And this put him in immediate danger. He was arrested, even though Herod was not uh, willing to kill him. You may remember this story in the, as it continues that uh, Herod held a, a, a party and there was some dancing at the party and Herodias' daughter uh, danced and uh, Herod in his uh, drunken state told her that she could have anything that she, she wanted up to half his kingdom and she wanted John's head. Why did she want John's head? Because John had spoken truth to power. John had said, it is not appropriate that you have your brother's a wife. And so there is a long tradi- tradition of speaking truth to power in the Bible. And so uh, Stephen was uh, not the first. And yet, as we reflect on this as people who are here today, and you may be a part of this church community that is Avon Hope, we recognize that speaking truth to power is not easy. Uh, in fact, if we're honest with ourselves, or I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself, I am honest to myself. I will acknowledge that there are uh, times when I've been challenged about speaking truth, when truth needs to be told in powerful situations or to powerful uh, people. And so um, I would imagine that you've been put in situations or circumstances uh, like that too. Now, some of you are just really outspoken, and maybe this isn't a problem for you. So you can leave today, and we'll, uh, uh, my wife can leave today. My ha- wife seems to have no problem speaking truth to power, so I guess this is not for her today. She's not... She's left already, so that's good. She knew. She knew it was the subject. <laughs> but for the rest of us who might be challenged by speaking truth to uh, a power, uh, we have to wrestle with this. And what is behind our unwillingness or our inability to speak out when we need to speak out? And, you know, we live in a broken world, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and sometimes we need to have a, a voice. And so what's behind our unwillingness or inability to speak truth to power. That's our subject for today. Now, I would suggest to you that there are at least uh, three reasons why this is a challenge to us. Uh, there are more, but I have three for you today. So, uh, the first is this, that sometimes we are unsure what we actually believe about things. We're unsure what we actually believe about things, and there are so many subjects we're not sure which ones are really the most important. And so there's just this uh, level of ignorance that we have. And if we think about things, you think about all the stuff that's going on in our broken world today, um, sometimes it can be really difficult to just have a handle on what is, what is going on and what subjects we need to be focusing on and where, where truth is. I mean, there are some obvious things like racism. I mean, if you're struggling with racism, 
then we can talk later. That's obviously a problem, but there are, are, there are other issues that may be a little bit more nuanced or we just haven't spent the time investigating enough and so we feel like we're incapable of really having an educated opinion on things and we don't have the time to educate our, our things so we don't speak out about uh, issues. And so being unsure of what we actually believe about things and maybe unaware of what things really indeed are of utmost importance, this can inhibit us of speaking truth to the powers that exist even if we need to. Uh, secondly, um, we can feel like we don't have much of a voice. I mean, some of you may be in influential positions where when you speak, uh, people listen and people are aware, but for many of us, you know, speaking out about things just might seem like it's going to fall on dead ears and nobody is listening anyway. And yes, you have Facebook and you can post on Facebook, but I don't know that Facebook is very effective when it comes to really speaking truth to power. And uh, I mean, Facebook is, is seemingly like a, a mess when it comes to some of these, some of these issues. Um, and as is social media, as much as we may love it and as much as uh, we're many of us are a part of it, speaking truth to power, I'm not sure that it's the best venue for that. And so we can feel like we have nobody listening to us, even if we do uh, utilize social media. I mean, who's, who's paying attention to our social media feed? It's here and today and gone tomorrow anyway. And so there can be this sense that, boy, if, even if we do say something, who really cares? Who's uh, listening? And then finally, as we, again, wrestle with this reality that sometimes we are just unwilling or unable to speak truth to the power, we have to recognize that there's a lot of fear associated with speaking the truth to power. Um, certainly a physical fear, as we've seen from the story of, of Stephen and others. I mean, Stephen, there was a place for physical fear. His life was in danger. In fact, he lost his life over speaking out about uh, Jesus and his relationship with Jesus and what he believed about uh, Jesus. And so that was very, a very physical uh, response to speaking truth to power. But uh, certainly fear goes beyond that. There's economic fear. We think of those who are, have been whistleblowers who maybe were working in a, a, a job situation where immorality was taking place or uh, there, were, there were moral issues and uh, someone was called and felt compelled to say something about what was going on. Uh, but the likelihood is you do that in your job, your job might be uh, in jeopardy. And that has economic, uh, an economic impact for a person. And so there can be fear when it comes to a willingness to speak out about issues. There can be fears that's physical. There can be fear that is rooted in uh, economics. You might lose your job. I mean, we think about the, the Me Too movement that is, uh, that is rightfully uh, taking hold and sweeping the country. I mean, why did it take so long for all of this stuff to come out? Well, it took so long because people worried about their careers and their jobs and, their, and the economics behind that. And so right or wrong, that's the reality. We have fear. And so that can inhibit our willingness and ability to speak out about things that need to be spoken out about. So physical, economical, and then there's also the relational element. We recognize that if we speak out about things, that it's going to affect our relationship with other people. And it might be affect the way that people think about us and think about who we, we are. This is a small illustration of that. I don't know that this was a speaking truth to power issue, but uh, maybe related to that. I was going to visit some uh, family, and uh, 
the family, my, my family was going down there, and we knew, I knew that there was going to be one particular guy who has a very particular set of political views. You know what I'm talking about? A friend of the family knew he was going to be there. And I'll tell you what, the last thing that I wanted to do on the planet was talk to this person about politics. If you've ever been in that situation, you just know there's somebody, somebody, that guy. And so I, I knew that he was, he was going to be there, and the last thing I really wanted to do was to talk about politics. Levi, Levi had no such reservations. Um, now, I can't say that we talk a whole lot. Levi's my, my son. He's now nine. This, he was probably like seven or eight at this time. Um, he's sitting right over there, but I'm, t- I'm, I'm trying not to, to uh, call him out too much during sermons, but it's hard because so many good things. Um, anyway, so we go down there, and I can't say that we spend a whole lot of time moaning and complaining about politics and, this, and, and things around the, the house. So, you know, I, I wasn't sure quite how aware he was of things, but, um, but he had no fear of speaking truth to power, <laughs> and this, he, so Levi's seven, and this grown man got into a political debate. <laughs> now, I would assert to you that if you're debating with a seven-year-old politics, that might be a hint that you need to cool it a little bit, but anyway, so there they, they went at it for a little bit. I had to intervene between a seven-year-old and a 50-year-old, um, and all good, so anyway, fear. Fear. Re- Levi didn't have the, that fear in that, that case, but many of us are challenged by fear when it comes to speaking truth to power, whether it's physical, economical, or, or relational. And so we have to wrestle with the question, how do we overcome this fear, or apathy, or ignorance, or whatever it is that might be hindering us as people who, who believe in a God, who believe that there is right and wrong in the world, how do we uh, overcome our fears? How do we overcome our sense that we don't have a voice? How do we overcome the uh, recognition that we might not know all that we need to well, know? Well, first of all, we go to the story of uh, Jesus. Uh, before Stephen spoke truth to power, Jesus spoke truth to power. We read about this specifically in Matthew chapter 26 and starting with verse 7. And it says there this, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Verse 59, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. We're right back in the the story here. Stephen just was following Jesus' example. But they didn't find anything. And so many false witnesses came forward. And finally, two came forward and declared... This fellow said, I'm to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. And so the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, aren't you going to answer? Uh, What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. In verse 64, uh, Jesus says, you have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming down in the clouds of heaven. Before Stephen spoke truth to power, Jesus spoke truth to power. When he was uh, called out, he was unafraid of saying who he was, even though he knew. He knew by overtly answering the question, are you the Messiah, by identifying himself as the Son of Man, that that was it. He had given them all the evidence that they needed to, uh, to kill him, to put him to death, to exe- 
persecute him. And so uh, Stephen was following Jesus' example. Jesus has been an example when it comes to speaking truth to power. But is Jesus nothing more than an example? Is he a good example that we should all uh, follow after? Well, I hope he's more than that, because if he's not more than that, we are all in deep trouble. Maybe there are some good people out there who are going to just follow Jesus' example to the ends of the earth. But for most of us, when we're put in a situation like Jesus, we are not going to make it, because all those other things come back on us. We have the fear, uh, we have the sense that we don't really have a voice, uh, we might be unsure about what we believe. And so if Jesus is simply our example, and I'm just going to do what Jesus did, what would Jesus do? I'm going to do what Jesus did. We are in deep trouble. We're in deep trouble because most of us don't have what it takes to do what Jesus did. And so what hope do we really have? Well, we're told in a promise in John chapter 14 um, by Jesus himself that he is more than an example, that what he's done has provided for us something that we will never gain on our own by just getting it together and trying to be more moral and trying to be uh, more intentional about speaking out, that Jesus has promised to give us something that we don't innately have. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, we read this, and this is from Jesus himself, I will ask the Father, this is Jesus before his death talking to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of, the, of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before the long, the world will not see me anymore but you will see me because I live in you, you will also live in me. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And so Jesus is promising this spirit that because of his work, his life, his death, and his resurrection, he is now enabled to give those who embrace a relationship with him a, 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 an advocate, one who's going to work together with you and me, with the disciples, with his followers, and that that disciple, that, that advocate has the ability to enable us to be people that we are innately a not. Acts chapter 6 and verse 10, it says that uh, Stephen was so powerful and that the Sanhedrin could not stand up, up against him uh, because of the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. See, Stephen wasn't just speaking on his own. He wasn't just some really articulate guy who had it all figured out and who was just following the example of Jesus. No, he had embraced a relationship with Jesus, and as Jesus had promised in John chapter 14, he was enabled by the, the Spirit, the Advocate, to speak words that were not his own. Now, this gets a little bit weird for us because we like to think of ourselves as self-contained and get it together, and if we just you know, educate ourselves, and we just go to church more often, and if we do all of these things, then we're somehow going to become the moral people that we're going to be, but that's not how it works according to the, the gospel. The gospel is, hey, you can try to get it all together all you want, but there are some innate problems that you are not going to overcome until you embrace Jesus' work and allow the Spirit to work in you, and when that happens, a whole new world is at your fingertips. Watch what happens. We said that Sometimes we are hesitant to, to speak truth to power because we are unsure of what we actually believe and we maybe not even know what issues we need to, to really be speaking out about. In John chapter 16, again in verse 7, uh, Jesus says this, Very tru truly I tell you, it is for 
you're good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is the message of Jesus. Hey, listen, my work is coming to a close and I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you the advocate. And if you embrace my work, the spirit is going to be able to work in you. And if the spirit is going to work in you, he is going to lead you into all truth. He's going to help you to know right from wrong. He's going to help you to know when you need to speak truth to power, when you need to stand up for injustice in the world, when to stand up, what issues are, are issues that are important to, 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 to have your voice known. God can give you wisdom as you embrace God's work and the Spirit works in you. We said that sometimes we don't speak truth to power because we don't believe our own uh, voice will be heard by anyone. But in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus again says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. He's talking to this, you're going to be my witnesses in your hometown. Now that, maybe they could get to wrap their minds around, okay, we're going to be our wit- his witnesses in Jerusalem. But then he goes on, he says, in all Judea, okay, Judea, we've been, we've been around Judea, to Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These are guys who haven't traveled maybe 40 miles from their hometown ever, they've ever been. He said, you're going to have an influence to the whole earth. That, w- that was mind-blowing to them. I'm sure they thought, what kind of influence are we really going to be able to have? Jesus came and said, you're going to have an influence that's going to touch the entire world. Luke chapter 21, verse 12. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you, Jesus says. This is his pep talk to his followers. By the way, Jesus was never messing around, right? <laughs> I mean, and in one sense, he was like the, the worst recruiter of all time. But in another sense, he was the best recruiter of all time because people want to get behind something that has meaning, right? I mean, you don't want to be do something that has no meaning. Jesus calls out his disciples, before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors and on all account on my name, on all account from my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But Make up your mind to not worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. What? Jesus says, hey, hey, you think your voice isn't going to be heard? Actually, you're going to be called before kings and rulers, and your voice is going to go out into all the world as you testify by, about me. But don't worry about how you're going to defend yourselves. This doesn't make sense. I got my friend Derek. I mean, Derek, when you go to make your case in court, you're preparing, I would imagine. If somebody said, Dad, don't worry about what you're going to say. That's not going to work. Jesus, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry how you will defend yourself. Derek, I would imagine that if you're going up against a, a, a felon, that that's what you want their attorney to have said. Don't worry about what you're going to say. But Jesus says, don't worry about what you say, how you're going to defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your advocate, adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. I'm going to give you words that nobody who's against you is going to be able to contradict. Wow. Not only will they not be able to contradict it, they're not even going to be able to resist it. It's going to be so compelling. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. It's serious. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Jesus is saying, look, it's going to get crazy. And it did get crazy for those disciples. And, you know, we're maybe fortunate enough that we live in a society here and now where it hasn't gotten crazy for us. But let me tell you, you start speaking truth to power, 
it can get crazy real fast. Jesus says, they look, ultimately, you're not going to perish. I'm going to take care of you. In fact, stand firm. There's not a hair on your head that's going to be lost eternally. Finally, we said that we are hesitant to speak truth to power because we are afraid. We fear that there may be harm, physical, economic, relational. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid, respect the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fail to fall, will fall to the ground outside of your father's care, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than two sparrows. Listen, think, things are going to get crazy in this world. Stand up for, for what is right. Allow the spirit to work in you, and uh, things are going to get crazy, yes, but don't be afraid of what's going to happen here and now. Ultimately, God has things in control. In fact, respect the one who has ultimate control over things, God. And if you embrace his work on your behalf, God is going to look out for you, just like he looks out for the birds of the air. And he knows even the hairs on your head. God's promises, as we embrace his work, we are enabled to be people that we may not innately be. We may be able to do things that we are not able to do and that we can speak out to the injustice in the world, that we can speak out the good news of the gospel, even in circumstances and situations that might put us at danger economically, emotionally, relationally, relationally, even physically. But God's promise is, hey, I love you. I've got things under control. As you embrace my work, I will do in you what you cannot do for yourself. And so as we think about what we want to be as individuals and we think what we want to be as a community, a community of faith here in this great city of New York, may we be a community that speaks truth to power, that is not afraid to speak out against injustice in the world and those who are uh, standing up, that we stand up for those who are hurting and need in this world and that we are unafraid to appropriately communicate the gospel in all the ways in which God uh, wants us to. And so may God's spirit do what only he can do in us, to give us boldness to be his people in such a time as this. Amen.